whatever job they give you, whatever additional duty they give you, you be the best you can be at it. Be the best. Hello and welcome to the Polaris Hall podcast. I'm C2C Jack Wachtel here with C1C Jack Calkins. And today we have on General Retired Stephen Lorenz. Uh, General Lorenz was my SPE for Squadron 14, uh, so that's how I came into contact with him. Graduated with the illustrious class of 73, and between then and now, he's <laughs> been on quite a journey. I tried to come up with an executive summary for this podcast, but I gave up after about the 15th bullet point. So anyways, sir, um, just to start us out, uh, would you mind giving us a quick sort of elevator pitch over your career from time at the academy through now? Okay. It's an honor to do that. First of all, it's an honor to be here and to talk to you all. And so I'll start out with when I was nine years old, I wanted to be, I came here with my dad. Chapel wasn't even built then. And I decided, I don't know why, that this was the place I wanted to go to school. And I'm a brat. In fact, I'm third generation Air Force. My grandfather dropped bombs on the battleship Austrian with Billy Mitchell a hundred years ago this past summer. And so, uh, I uh, visited this place. I went to 12 different schools as my dad moved around the country. And I went to four different high schools. And literally, I walked the halls of Congress to get an appointment to this school, okay, because I wanted it so bad. And so the, in the end, the hard part was not hard for me to get into this school. It was challenging. But the hard part for me was to stay in the school. <clears throat> because I went to four different high schools and my background was so varied, I liked uh, in electrical engineering, computer science, and uh, aeronautical engineering so much, I took them twice. <laughs> I was on the dean's other list six of eight semesters. And when we walked across the stage in numerical order, I made the top 85% of my class look good. Now, I'm not telling you this. It wasn't, I didn't kiss things off. The two magic letters that got me through this school is EI, 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 okay? I had more EI sessions in physics than I had actual classroom sessions. I studied hard, very, very hard. And that's why this school, our academy, our, our great school, teaches us many, many things. For instance, I hated the core curriculum because it made me get out of my comfort zone. The core curriculum was the best thing that ever happened to me. And then talking and working with my the faculty was the best thing ever happened to me. They got me through this place. The, this, this place is in the success business, not the failure business. And if you care, they care. If you don't care, they don't care. And so the issue is when you get behind anything from running the, the PFT uh, to jumping off the 10 meter board to uh, being behind an arrow, go talk to your faculty. They will get you through it. They're phenomenal, great people. The, the director of athletics, the commandant, the dean, they're all in the success business and they want you to succeed. So as I like to say, never give up, never give up, never give up. And that started my Air Force career. And not to belabor this, I became a pilot. I flew 10 different airplanes uh, over that time. I've worked in legislative affairs. Uh, I, I was uh, an aide to a, two four-star generals. Uh, I've commanded a squadron, a group three wings, including the cadet wing when I was commandant of cadets from 96 to 99. And then uh, was the director of the budget for four years, right after the, the planes hit the building. I took over on September 15th, 2001. 
And then I, the, my last two assignments was the commander of Air University in Montgomery, Alabama at Maxwell Air Force Base. And my final assignment in the Air Force was commander of Air Education Training Command at Randolph Air Force Base in Texas. And then after I retired, I moved here. I ran the USAF Endowment, now called the Air Force Academy Foundation, and raised money for our school. In fact, the, the, the uh, very room we're sitting in, the very building, Polaris Hall, we raised money, $22 million for that. And then now I run the Falcon Foundation where I help young people uh, who are just below the line of getting in. We send them off to currently five different schools, military schools, so they can take math and science and English and history and all this and prep and then come in here uh, the next year and enter in the, in the next class. And so I hope in bright, young, shiny people who just want to grow up and be you. All right. So there's a summary of my life. I hope it didn't talk too long, but there you are. I was there, sir. I was a Falcon Scholar, okay. went to NWP, and couldn't be more grateful for that opportunity. For They're sure. starting. They, they shut at Northwestern Prep, which is in California, as you well know. They were all supposed to show up three, two, three weeks ago. And the National Forest Service, because of the fires, shut down the National Forests all over the state. So they half of them were already there, and they had to go home, back home. And they're showing up today and tomorrow and Sunday to start their year at Northwestern Prep. No way. And that's what's happening today. That was the, that was the best three months of my life, sir. Okay. Honestly, 100%. So Very if anybody's good. listening to this, definitely take it if you get the opportunity. I, I thought that your dual year was the best time of your life. Uh, second best. Okay. I'll, I'll stand by uh, my <laughs> time right. at NWP. Okay. So General Lorenz, um, throughout your entire career, I saw a, a pretty strong trend of having to organize and manage a large group of people. And obviously you became very passionate about instilling values at, and as you did with our squadron um, for the three years. How many years were you this be for? I think three, almost three years, not quite three years. Yeah. The three years with CS14. Um, trying to instill values into the people that you're organizing. It's, and I, I, I would think it'd be very hard and difficult to accomplish such a feat when you're so far removed from the individual. So how, how are you able to accomplish this sort of idea of the character and all these, all these different things that you might hold very highly? Well, first of all, everything is off the year you're born and you have no say in that. If you're born 10 years earlier or 10 years later, it affects your life. Okay. And so the issue is everything, especially you come here to the Air Force Academy for a variety of reasons, but one of the primary reasons is to grow up and become a leader. And in, in today's world, especially, it's always been this way, but especially if you're going to be a leader, you need to be a cross-generational leader. Okay. So instilling these values. Okay. I learned here besides never give up, never give up, never give up here at the Academy. I also learned the core values of integrity first, service before self excellence in all we do. Okay. And by the way, life is about habits, good habits and bad habits. And so the issue is those good habits that you learn through those three core values, they become, they become ingrained in you. And by the way, I want to tell you this, things get harder, the more senior you get, they don't get easier. Uh, the more senior you get, people aren't patting you on the back and telling you how great things are going. They're usually telling you how things are not going as well as they should be. So you learn at the Air Force Academy through the core curriculum, through the honor code, through uh, the duly year, third class year, second class year, first class year. You learn these habits studying. What are, by the way, what are the three things that you are going to balance the rest of your life? Time, money, and manpower. And what do you balance most here at the Air Force Academy? Time. You never have enough time to do everything. 
Well, guess what? The rest of your life, you're going to be balancing time. And, and by the way, when you're forced to take on an adversary somewhere in the future, what are they doing? They're balancing time, money, and manpower. You need, it's, by the way, it's called the scarcity principle. And you need to learn how to do that. And, and all these things you pick up at the academy and, and learn. I, uh, the habits I learned at the academy have carried me through my entire life. They did, for instance, I remember when I was the Air Force Director of the Budget, and it was a very challenging time. And uh, I'll never forget, I had a meeting with the Secretary of the Air Force at the time, and he started, uh, how do I say this? Chewing me out. You know what I did? I assumed the position, shoulders back and down, chin in, and I kept my mouth shut until it was all over. And then we had a conversation and it all worked out. But I learned that at the academy, all right? The, the biggest difference between, say, being a, when you graduate here, a, a second lieutenant, and say, a four-star general is span of control, all right? So uh, do they still have combined federal campaign and somebody in the squadron comes and asks you to donate money to some sort of charity or thing? I don't know if they- They still... do it by email now. Okay, they yeah, do it by email. We still okay? have it. When I was a second lieutenant, I was this combined federal campaign officer for the 4th Airborne Command and Control Squadron, which does not exist anymore at Ellsworth Air Force Base in Rapid City, South Dakota, okay? 37 years later, I'm the combined federal campaign officer for Air Education Training Plan, 88,000 people. The only thing that changed in the 37 years was span of control. Well, you learn that from being a, first as a dually, what do you learn? You learn to be a follower. Then as a third classman, what do you learn? You learn a little bit more, a little bit, and then you become a firstie, a god. That's, <laughs> a, you know, that's how I look at firsties. I still remember, by the way, just so you know, for all the cadets out there, I don't know about you, but it's been over. I'm a class of the illustrious class of 73. I still, Thomas C. Waskow from Annandale, Virginia. He was Hubert, Henry, Mike, Henry Michael Hubert, who was my element leader. See, I still have to have to say their full names. And they made, they were the class of 70 and I'm a 73. They were my firsties. They made a difference in my life, a positive difference. And, and I look up to them to this day, but see how I still have to remember Thomas C. Waskow, see how I have to say his full name. I don't know if they still do that here, but that's what I, we did 50 years ago. So what the heck? So the answer is the, the, the Air Force Academy builds a foundation on which you build your whole rest of your life. And so get into the good habits. And here's one more quick one on this habits. Okay. Good habits and bad habits. There's only four things to get people in trouble, whether you're 17 or 70 booze, sex, drugs, or money, or a combination thereof. I'm telling you, you see it in the news, you see it here at the academy. You know, I always used to say to the cadets when I was a commandant, I'd say, how many drinks did that take to become a good decision? And you all know exactly what the heck I'm talking about. All right. There's nothing original. See, cross-generational leadership. Yes, your experiences are different to mine. You know how to work the computers better and all that stuff. But the same stuff happens from this school is not, what is it, 67 years old? Maybe I'm off by a year. 67? It's close. It's like, one yeah. year old 67 times. Every year, a thousand or so raging hormonal teenagers show up. And the same stuff happens over and over again. Their experiences are different, but the same stuff happens. Yusafa is one year old, 67 times or what have you. Mm -hmm. But one constant that we've seen from past graduates we've had on the show is 
that the honor code does change a little bit in its perception by the class that sees the code, like at USAFA. Um, they, they, they claim that maybe there's a lack of respect for the code now as compared to when they were at USAFA. How do you think that the code is viewed today or when you were like as a commandant versus now or when you were a cadet? If you go through the history from the, the class of 59 to today, okay, the class of 22, which are our firsties now, there's a cycle of life. That's why I'm saying there's nothing original. Mm -hmm. In the class of 65, it was an honor scan. In the class of 67, I'm, I'm in, I don't want to use it just in that class, but in that year, in 65, 67, there were honor scandals, okay? And they changed the rules and stuff. In my class, the illustrious class 73, the, the, <clears throat> the year, the semester I flunked Arrow and Double E, the same semester, that was my uh, uh, fall semester of uh, my second class year, uh, 39 of my classmates were kicked out for cheating in those courses in, the, in my class. All right. It's sad. Integrity is the baseline of everything. It, it, it is so important. And, it and as I said, I alluded to earlier, it doesn't get easier. The habit patterns, lying, cheating, and stealing, just don't do it. Stay out of it. By the way, you have to be smart, smarter, to, and I'm not with my GPA that smart. If you lie, you have to keep up with the lies. Always tell the truth. And whether you're a second lieutenant or a four-star general. By the way, will you take hits? Yes. Okay, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say it graphically so, so that you remember it. And I do not mean to offend anyone. This school teaches you many, many great things. But one of the biggest things it teaches you is that you have more ass than anyone can ever chew. Do you hear, understand what I just said? You can handle anything. Okay, in my day, there were three responses. I think there's seven now. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, seven. The answer is yes, sir. In my day, yes, sir. No, sir. No excuse, sir. It was, by the way, it was from that time period. The answer is the code is the code. Live the code. That's why I'm saying, you know, some, my AOC asked me after all my classmates cheated on the test, he goes, he calls me and, and I'd flunked these two courses. And he says, Lorenz, he says, he paused for a minute, he goes, you didn't cheat and still flunk. <laughs> and he says, oh, no, 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 you're not that dumb. Okay. <laughs> the answer is I didn't cheat and I wouldn't cheat because you just, you do the right thing. But, and as I'm going to reiterate this over and over again, it isn't easy. I have eight years working legislative affairs in Capitol Hill, uh, both, both as a director of the Air Force budget and four, four year, three years in the Senate liaison office. And so I've, I've, I have uh, irritated some political leaders, but I stood, stood uh, and, and was true to what it is. Now, do, sometimes do you pay a price? Yes, mm -hmm. that's the way it goes. That's why in, we're, integrity is so important. I cannot stress that enough to the cadets that are out there listening to this. I know it's tough. I got it. Get used to it. You can handle it. Never give up, never give up, never give up. See, I'm repeating myself because that's 90% of life is showing up. You take the two by fours to the face, boom, boom. You dust yourself off and you keep moving forward. In today's society, everybody talks about victimization and stuff. Nobody's a victim. You know, the only difference between me and you and the class of 22 and, 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 and 23, okay? You know what the only difference is? Scar tissue. I've lived longer than you have, so I have more scar tissue. Picture this. Picture there's a road of life and it has a hundred bumps on it. 
If you do nothing, you're going to go down the road of life and hit all hundred bumps. Well, if you talk to people who've been down the road before and have experienced those bumps, maybe if you listen to what they have to say, maybe you only hit 80% of the bumps, but it's certainly better than hitting two than hundred percent of the bumps. You buy that? Yes, and that's what's important. By the way, what do people like to talk about? Themselves. Themselves. That's exactly right. So, you know, you have an AOC, you have a physics instructor, you have an athletic uh, coach, you have all those. Go and talk to them. Uh, go and ask them about what they did and how they did it in the, in the Air Force or in civilian life. And ask them, would they do it again? Or what are some of the issues that you had to deal with? And I bet you a lot of the issues are about balance in life. I want you to picture a wheel, a wagon wheel, okay, with spokes on it. All right. Okay. The wheel moves forward if all the spokes are equal. But if one spoke is too long or one spoke is too short, the wagon wheel doesn't move forward. That's about life. Balance. You know, your health, academics, sports, uh, whatever your, your hobbies, make sure they're all balanced so you keep moving forward. So with this, uh, this sort of road that you've created when it comes to the path of life, you're going down with all these bumps on it. Surely there's some guardrails on either side of the road that you might like brush up against and kind of learn a lesson or two to correct your path back onto the center of the road. So in your case, have, has there been any times when your integrity has been challenged or like within at the academy or afterwards where you're faced with the decision to either withhold, like uphold or, you know, violate your own integrity? Right. It, it happens. That's part of life. People ask you to do things that you shouldn't do. By the, I've said to you, I've had eight years working Capitol Hill. Those are times when some people ask me to do something that was illegal and moral and ethical. And the answer is I said no. And by the way, did I pay a price? Uh, most of the time, I just stuck my, stayed to my guns, made sure I did the right thing, and it all worked out. Did it take longer? Yes. To get accomplish a goal because I stayed in the truth? Let me use this, and I don't want to bore you with this, but I was nominated three times for lieutenant general, okay? And I was not, as a former commandant, all of us at that time period, uh, this is this is 15, to, uh, 20, years, uh, 20 years ago, we were all being looked at because what was going on at the Air Force Academy. But uh, I did all the right things, at least in my own mind, and I listened to the lawyers and all that. But uh, one of the senators who's passed away now, he wanted to know what was going on with the BRAC, the base realignment. And I said, I can't tell you. First of all, I don't know. But first of all, that's against the law. And his staff got mad at me and they withheld one of my nominations. And I didn't get to go on that assignment. I still did the right thing. And I am not complaining or criticizing anybody. I did, I did what I thought was right. And I stood by that. And that's the way it goes. And it all worked out. It doesn't always, work. by the way, it doesn't always work out. I'm going to tell you that, but just keep moving forward. Take the two by fours in the face. As I said before, keep moving forward. Never give up, never give up, never give up. You see the, see what I learned from the Air Force Academy? See what I learned from EI? I, I haven't changed at all in all my life doing the same thing that I learned here at the United States Air Force Academy. That you wanted to go to since you were nine. Since I was nine years old. Since you were nine. In fact, to be quite honest with you, do they still count the days down until graduation? Absolutely. Okay. When my class was, we were firsties and we were counting down the days till, till uh, graduation, I was a little bit depressed because I had already achieved my life goal. All I ever wanted to be was a cadet. And then, <laughs> and then the days and I graduated and then took one step at a time, went to pilot training, did all that stuff. So one thing leads to another. What did pilot training 
teach you that you use the rest of your career? What did being a pilot teach you that you use the rest of the career until you were a four star? Well, the, the, well, first of all, it taught me how to fly. I told you I got to fly 10 different airplanes. I have over 3,600 hours, which isn't a great number, but it's a good number. And uh, I learned to be situationally aware all the time, you know, checking your 360 degrees so that nobody, you know, no other plane hits you or whatever. I learned about the technical competency of dealing with uh, uh, the computers and stuff. And in, in my early days, there weren't any computers, but uh, just uh, uh, once again, the basics that you learn here at the academy carry on into pilot training and one airplane after another. And always remember this. This is something each one of you is having a conversation with yourself. By the way, all of you, when you all get together, you don't talk about how great it is here is here at the academy. You, you're talking about all the nitty gritty and you're talking about some some friend of yours at the university of whatever and they're having a party and they're having much, the grass is always greener on the other side. Okay, that's part of life and the like. But uh, I want you to think about that the great people that you get to hang out with, all right? Uh, throughout my, you, the, the, you've, you, there's two types of people in my world, okay? There's lots of types of people, but this is defenders and defended. Defenders and defended. And you have all voluntarily decided to become a defender, okay? And by the way, you are currently, with the size of the military the way it is, only 0.6% of the American population. 0.6. Not 6%, 0.6. That means 99.4%. Did I get the math right? Okay. Uh, those, are, those are the defended. All right. And in today's world, uh, especially with the World War II generation passing on, only 7% of the American public have, are, have ever served in the military. And that number is getting smaller and smaller. So the things that you do, the core values, the service that you're going to do, uh, are, are, uh, you're, you are a member of the smallest minority there is. Defenders are the smallest minority. And it's an honor to, to be one. You are going to, the challenges that your generation is going to face in the future, I can't even imagine them. But they're going to be challenges. You're watching what's going on around you today, what happened on the other side of the planet, all these different things that are happening. The, the cl Your class, okay, as you head off and get commissioned, go to pilot training or space training or whatever it is, I cannot tell you, cyber, you know, all that stuff, but it's going to be challenging, okay? And I'm going to reiterate this again, the things that you're, the basis that you're learning from the faculty and, the, and your AOCs and the coaches and all the people here are going to give you that baseline that you'll be able to handle the things that we don't even know exist today. That's why it's exciting. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I trade places with you right now and do it all again. If I got your body, because I can't do it with this one. It's too old. Too all much right. scar tissue. Too much scar tissue. Okay. <laughs> what else? So reeling it back a little bit to your time as a commandant and then later as your time at uh, ATC in Texas, what was the greatest difference in your opinion between dealing with cadets versus those at ATC? Was there that big of a difference for you? Or? No, you're, de you're dealing with bright, young, shiny Americans. Okay. Now, are they, they're 18 years old, whether they're, I, I went to, the honor and privilege of being a cadet here and then becoming a lieutenant. You get to be a leader. I want to stress this over and over again. The, whether you're a lieutenant or a four-star general, you're leading people. Maybe only 
you're only leading by setting the example for others. It could be just you, but it could be, as I said before, I've, I've commanded a crew of four, a squadron of 150, a group of a thousand, three wings that were between four and 7,000, a university that taught 55,000 students, and then a command of 88,000. And so I was very blessed. And, and by the way, I, I never thought I would be able to do that sort of thing, especially with my GPA. Okay. But the issue is getting to, to serve. Let, let me give you an example. Uh, I would go down as a commander of Air ETC and I'd go visit the Center for the Intrepid. That's where they take care of very, the wounded, seriously wounded from Iraq and Afghanistan at the time. And I'll never forget, I ran into Staff Sergeant Olson. He was a dog handler. And he's sitting there in his, in, in his hospital room and he has this, and I want you to picture his arm is in a cast, but it's raised up 90 degrees from his body with an iron bar and there's screws right through his arm. You know, he's, he's, an IED went off and exploded and wounded him severely. And so here's this Staff Sergeant Olson and he's about to be operated on, I think it was the next morning. I was there late in the day. And, and he's, uh, he's about to be operated on if it's a very serious operation. And I said, uh, Sergeant Olson, is there anything we can do to help you? And he goes, General, um, I have a dog. My dog, my canine, was named Blick. And he was also severely wounded. And he's not doing well. Could you help me retire him so I could take care of him? So now let's get this right. This, this airman, this staff sergeant, is about to be operated on. He's in pain. And what does he care about? His dog, his canine dog who, who he loved. That's the type of people that you're going to get to lead. Those, maybe they don't have the opportunities of getting a great education like at the Air Force Academy, but they enlisted as volunteers to become defenders. And you get to lead them. They... Sergeant Olson set the example. By the way, about after I retired, I went down to Maxwell Air Force Base at Air University, and I had heard that Sergeant Olson was there. And so I go to the kennel, and I rattled a metal cage, you know, the fence to get in, and staff sergeant, another staff sergeant comes out and says, yeah, what do you want? He says, is there a dog named Blick here? And the, this old, crusty staff sergeant says, you bet. He's a couch potato now. He's so fat. He's retired, you know. So I go in and see Sergeant Olson and Blake, and they're still together. <laughs> I have I have numerous stories about airmen who are tw 20 years old, the same age, and they they led me by their example. And and that's why the, the core values you learn here and the tenacity you learn here, the honor to lead those type of people in, in challenging situations. Think about this. You're going to be on the other side of the planet, hot tired, homesick, miss your family. Guess what? You're going to be leading people who are hot, tired, homesick, and miss their family. It's a, it's a great service. The Air Force is nothing, the military, but the Air Force in particular is nothing more than a giant extended family. That's why I say I do it all again. So I know you've talked about airmen have really motivated you throughout your career in multiple instances. Um, was, did you ever have a senior mentor? Oh, uh, dozens, hundreds. I would. I, uh, okay. Uh, Any particular when I that? when I was here at the Air Force Academy, uh, and my academic advisor was Colonel Joe Henshin. He passed away uh, about ten years ago. He was a helicopter pilot, a wonderful person. He he uh, helped me through this school. You know, as a, as he was a lieutenant colonel, I thought he was ancient. 
as a lieutenant colonel when I was a cadet. By the way, always remember, the duallys think you're ancient because everything is relative. At 21 and they're 17, they think, my God, and they think you know everything. And you and I both know you don't, but they think you do. So everything is, in, so uh, throughout my career, I, the number of mentors, I'd listen to everybody. By the way, e even the junior people younger than me. All right. Here's another quick story. Jessica Tarver. I, I ran into her at the Center for the Intrepid too, down in San Antonio at, at uh, Brooks Army Hospital, Army Center there. Jessica had been in Iraq, I think twice, and she'd caught some sort of a virus and they had to amputate both of her legs below the knee. So I visited her a couple times and she was there learning to walk in prosthetics and stuff. After about a year, the infection came back and she passed away. She was a senior airman, 24 years old. So I go to the memorial. There's seats for 70. There are 200 people there. And uh, I'll never forget this, this rather mature, older army major who is a physical therapist gets up and says, you know, I teach people to walk in prosthetics in tennis shoes. Jessica wanted to walk in six inch heels. We got her up to four inch heels before she passed away. So Jessica there, just through this little symbol of walking in prosthetics and heels, what an example of a leader of never giving up, never giving up, never giving up. And I have, I cannot tell you the number, the inspiration I got, you talk about, okay, older mentors, younger mentors, everybody is an example, a good example or a, or a negative one. So, and by the way, as I told you before about scar tissue, I have kept a journal, not a diary, a journal for since 1977 in which when something happens, I'll write it down. Now I write it down in, in legal ledger books and ink. You can do it on computers and disks and, or whatever it is that you do now. But right, there are things happening to you right now, okay? Good and bad. By the way, you have a tendency to remember the bad better than the good. But there's a good example of a leader that did something. Write it down. Because as I've said before, the weakest ink is stronger than the strongest memory. And so the issues, then you go back and reflect, oh yeah, and you use that example for something in the future. Every bit of scar tissue, use that to help other people, okay? And, and, and I'm telling you, there is nobody who doesn't have issues. There is no one that doesn't have issues. And by the way, if I look, the eyes are the windows into the soul. The eyes are the windows in the soul. Look people in the eye, okay? You can tell if they're happy, they're sad, they're, uh, you know, don't care, whatever, okay? And, and so this is an important part of being a leader is observing lots of communication is body language. Watch people's body language, learn it, learn about it. Okay. And so the issue is, you know, I use this example. I'm the commander of air education training command. I'm sitting there in a uh, with a, a staff meeting. It's about to end. There's an SES, a, a senior executive service. That's like a general officer equivalent. And he's a really great guy, but he looks really thin and gaunt. He normally was, he was a marathoner, but he looked really gaunt. And, his, and I could tell he was stressed. And so I, I said to him, I said, uh, how are you doing? By the way, if you're going to find out how a person is doing, you're going to have to ask three times. How are you doing? Fine. No, no, really. How are you doing? I'm okay. Pause, create a vacuum. Then say, no, really, how are you doing? It's going to take at least three times to get people to really tell you how they're doing. Anyway, this SES is sitting there and I go, uh, how are you doing? And I ask him finally the third time he says, sir, I'm in the middle of divorce. I'm thinking about killing myself. 
I'm in the middle of meetings and all that, but immediately I stop everything I do, I'm doing. I get overwhelming combat power and throw it at them. Chaplains, doctors, lawyers, all that stuff to help them. And by the way, that stuff happens here at the academy, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Okay. And so you have to look them in the eyes. The eyes are the windows into the soul. Okay. And I'm telling you, you're going to help people. So as I alluded to this journal, write things down, the good and the bad. And then use them in the future. And it'll make a difference as a leader. And that's what it's all about, being a leader. So I have another question for you. What was your biggest challenge in the beginning of your, uh, in the beginning of your career? And then as you started to take on larger and larger groups of people, what was your biggest challenge then? Okay. First of all, I want you to remember, I said talked to you earlier about span of control. I talked to you about being the best you can be at whatever it is. Never give up, never give up. Okay. For the rest of your life, even today, and once again, I apologize, I don't mean to be graphic, but I'm going to say this so you remember, you are officer in charge of shitty little jobs. And the only thing that happens in this span of control is that good jobs get bigger and shittier. Okay, I just want you to remember that. All right. And so, as I said before about being combined federal campaign officer and that, uh, your boss, okay, in the squadron. If you want something done, give it to a busy person. You will find that that's what happens. And so the squadron wants to throw a party. Who's going to be in charge of that? How many people raise their hand and say, I'm going to be in charge? And the, and the squadron comes and says, you, and you do it. And after a while, it, be the best you can be at whatever job they give you, whether it's the party officer, combined federal campaign officer, or it's the, uh, okay, I'm a second lieutenant at Ellsworth, as I told you before, my first duty assignment after pilot training. And uh, uh, I'm there for about three or four months. And the squadron commander, a lieutenant colonel who uh, was ancient to me, comes up and he hands me this thick piece of, uh, of a government document. It was the regulation on OERs and APRs, officer effectiveness reports and air, air, airman performance reports. Okay. And I said, sir, what's this for? He says, I want you to be the squadron OER APR monitor. Sir, I don't know anything about it. He says, read the reg, you'll learn. Of course, I didn't want to do this. I'm a pilot. I just want to fly airplanes. So they gave me a little desk. It was really a table with one little drawer in it. It was, it was that government gray. They don't have it anymore, but around here. And so I had this regulation. And then all of a sudden, these OERs and APRs start showing up. There are like 140 people in the squadron. Okay. And so I start and I'm learning one thing at a time. All right. And by the way, I didn't want to do it, but I did it. And I tried to be the best I could be at it. Never give up, never give up, never give up. See, I'm repeating myself over and over again. And, and I think about this uh, to this day, okay? So when I was a second lieutenant, I learned how to write OERs and APRs for other people. When I think about how many people in the last, when I was in the service for 37 years, who got good OERs and APRs because my squadron commander, that crusty old lieutenant colonel, forced me to learn how to write, which I didn't want to do. But literally hundreds of people have gotten assignments and, and promoted because that, that lieutenant colonel forced me to learn how to write OARs and APRs. Never give up, never give up, never give up. So whatever job they give you, whatever additional duty they give you, you be the best you can be at it. Be the best. But when you start getting later in your career and you're getting larger and larger assignments and you're having more and more things to focus on, is it, does it become difficult to become the best you can be at every single thing? Ah, 
let's go back to span of control. Okay. Throughout your career, you're going to learn all these different things and how to do things. And you get really, really good at it. When I was promoted Lieutenant Colonel, I was in legislative liaison in Washington, D.C. And there was a, a party and it was at my house. And the, the director of L&L, Major General at the time, he comes up to me and he says, Lorenz, you just got promoted the rank that's the toughest rank. This is what he said. I'm going, I what? I did? And he goes, I want you to practice this. And he took, he took his finger, okay, his, and he put it in his mouth and clamped down his teeth on the finger like this. And I said, what's that? He says, that's what you got to start practicing because the span of control, the three magic words as you get more and more senior are delegate, delegate, delegate. And so he says, he says to me, now I'm, I'm just listening. And, and he goes, you already know how to do all these things and you know how to do them well, or you wouldn't have made Lieutenant Colonel. Now you have to teach people that are junior to you how to do the things that you know, and you're going to watch them and you're going to see, Oh, don't do that. Uh, you know, but you gotta, you gotta back off. You gotta take your finger, put it in your mouth again and squeeze down and keep your mouth shut and let them grow and learn and make them many use. Let them grow up to be that you've taught them how to do this sort of thing. And so as you get more senior, as I said, span of control, remember, I'm repeating myself over and again, but I'm saying the same thing is that you're teaching younger people, uh, more junior people to grow up, to be you, to be, have the same experiences that you have. Is that, is that challenging? Yes. But after a while you go, Hmm, look what this Susie or or Johnny has learned. you're, You're very proud of them. Okay. So I hope that answers that question. Okay. Just for the sake of the podcast, uh, John Lorenz has five co-authored or authored publications, correct? Mm-hmm. I think so. I, I was thumbing through um, the one I have sitting in front of me, Lorenz on leadership. And I saw one of the chapters, I'm pretty sure it's in this book, the one, the, the most difficult word to say is no. That's right. And so this kind of ties into this where it's not necessarily saying no, but no, the di- most difficult world word to say is yes. Okay, let me let me paraphrase it. Okay. okay. All right. <clears throat> if we're balancing shortfalls all the time, we don't have enough time, money and manpower. And I come to you and I say, cadet, I need you to do this. You're already busy. And your initial reaction is you have a list of 10 things to do. Okay, if I come and ask you to do something, all of a sudden, it's there's number 11. And you're already your time is already taken up. And oh, by the way, this might have to reprioritize your list of the 10 things you need to do. So your initial inclination balancing shortfalls is to say, no, the easiest word to say is no, I'm not going to do that. And by the way, individuals and also groups and organization and bureaucracies learn to say no, don't they? So I always say the toughest word in English language to say is yes. Okay, now I'm not talking about lying, cheating, stealing. I'm talking about when someone comes up to you and asks you to do something and you go, breathe hard, breathe in deeply, you know, and control your breathing and then sit down and organize. Well, let me look into that. My JAGs, my lawyers that used to work for me all throughout the Air Force, I made them, I had a rule. They could never say yes and they could never say no. They had to say, let me look into that. And it's amazing if you look into something, it's amazing how most of the time you can solve the problem. And so that the initial thing of, of organizations and people, because they're so busy, is to say no. So that, that's why I say the toughest word in English language to say is yes. And it's amazing. Some people always say no, and then you, you know who the people are will say yes, don't you? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, sir. There you go. There you go. Uh, sir, as we wrap up the podcast, is there anything you'd like to conclude or say to the cadet wing? 
Oh, to the cadet wing. You are so lucky to be cadets at the world's greatest Air Force Academy. And I'm, I mean this sincerely from the bottom of my heart. I'm not pumping sunshine where the sun doesn't shine. I believed it then and I believe it now. And as I said earlier, I would trade places with you right now and do it all again because of the exciting things you're going to get to do. Just study hard. Listen to your faculty. Uh, ne never give up. See, I'm repeating myself again. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. And I wish you all the very best. Thank you, sir. We really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. Uh, if you ever need him, uh, John Lorenz is around. So thank you, sir. You bet.